Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Before we get into the content that we plan to discuss today, a quick plug for a workshop that we are in the process of organizing in mid-October. It's called Mind the Gap, and ostensibly it's an opportunity for us to engage with basic researchers, clinical researchers, healthcare professionals, and patients with musculoskeletal pain to try to identify the gaps and breakdowns in misunderstandings between those different entities. Specifically, we're going to mine the gap with an intent to try to identify solutions that will facilitate translation. So if you're interested in attending the workshop, we'll include the link for registration on the website. So please go along, have a look at the program. If it's of interest, register for the workshop and we look forward to interacting with you there. Obviously, don't hesitate to give us any feedback about the podcast or the program through email on the website. Look forward to hearing from you soon. This week, we have the privilege of discussing, can medication help? Now, many people with osteoarthritis take some form of medication to help relieve their pain. But what works? What doesn't? And are there any side effects that outweigh the benefits for the commonly used agents? The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to unpack this topic, and we're joined by none other than Letitia Deviza. Dr. Letitia Deviza is a rheumatology specialist and a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Sydney Medical School and Royal North Shore Hospital. 
and her main research focus is on precision medicine and biomarkers in osteoarthritis. Leticia, welcome to the show. I'm going to start by just asking you a few more personal questions about yourself before we get into the topic of the medications themselves. You always like talking about yourself. But if, if you had to um, describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I'm a very active person. I'm always doing something, working or playing sports. I rarely uh, sit on the couch to watch TV. I like to think that I'm a friendly person. I make friends easily. Um, I'm diligent with my work and I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, I'm a caring person. I like to look after other people and um, help when they have trouble. All right. Now, from a professional standpoint, now that we've moved past that professional veneer, can you tell me a little bit more about what you do on a daily basis? I'm a rheumatologist, which is a doctor who is specialized in looking after people with autoimmune problems or problems involving the musculoskeletal system. I do a clinic where I see patients with all sorts of uh, rheumatological problems. And I also do one clinic specifically for patients with osteoarthritis. Also a researcher with the University of Sydney. I finished my PhD last year and I continued doing research with a focus on osteoarthritis. I'm currently involved in several projects to hopefully find better solutions for people affected by this disease. Fantastic. Now, again, a little bit more personal and you can let people in a little bit if you want to, but when you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do? So I have a one-year-old daughter and I love spending time with her, love going to the park and playing with her at home. I also love running. I used to run much more often before she was born, but I still try to be as active as I can and go for a run around three times a week. And this is mostly what I do when I'm not working. Superb. All right. Now we're going to move on to the topic at hand of medications in osteoarthritis. If you had to try to create a, a, f a framework to help us understand and categorize medications that are used for osteoarthritis, is there a framework that's out there that might help us to think about this? Yes, uh, there are medications to relieve symptoms, mostly to reduce the pain levels. And others that are aimed at reducing or slowing um, the progression of osteoarthritis, uh, so the process of joint destruction. Uh, so far, what we mostly do, and I think this is mostly what we're going to talk about today, is to relieve symptoms, so to give medications to reduce pain, because there's nothing really available in terms of uh, disease modification to stop the osteoarthritis process. There are a few drugs in clinical trials that may be effective, but we are still waiting for more results and they're not available as yet. Fantastic. Now, um, when we're thinking about the modification of symptoms for osteoarthritis, what are the common agents that most people out there in the general community might use? The most popular medications are paracetamol or Panadol in anti-inflammatories such as uh, Celebrex, Nurofen, Mobic. Steroid injections are also popular, although it can only relieve symptoms for a few weeks. Yeah, and, you know, societally, there are obviously huge issues with the 
consequences of opioid addiction and societal breakdown as a, as a consequence of that. But, you know, at the moment, I think just a sidebar, about 20% of people who have osteoarthritis are on a long-term opiate. And as uh, Letitia is saying, the best current evidence would suggest the, uh, the harms actually outweigh the benefits. So yeah, we, we don't, we don't yeah. advocate it. What about paracetamol? So paracetamol is an over-the-counter medication. And it's usually one of the first medications that people take to hopefully relieve their joint symptoms. But similarly to opioids, paracetamol has only small effects on symptoms. It's not a very effective uh, medication to treat osteoarthritis pain. And it's not uncommon to see patients taking two tablets of paracetamol three times a day but they are not very sure if that's doing anything for the disease. And sometimes the paracetamol was prescribed by a GP or patients think that it's a part of the osteoarthritis treatment, so they should continue taking paracetamol long term. And I think it's important to say that paracetamol can cause side effects, especially stomach bleeding, liver toxicity, uh, especially if if taken in high doses. So I personally don't start paracetamol for patients coming to see me, and I usually discuss other alternatives. So just coming back to that circumstance you spoke about before, where a person comes along and they're on uh, two tablets three times a day and they've been on it for a long while, they're unsure whether it's helping them or not. What advice might you give to them? Yes, I would definitely suggest trying to reduce the dose or skip one of the doses and see if that makes any difference for the symptoms. Particularly if it's someone who is starting lifestyle changes and physical activity, I usually like to set a goal. So what do you want to do with your medications in, say, three months? Can we try to reduce them? So not only paracetamol, but any other medication. Great, great. And so obviously most of the guidelines these days advocate uh, from an analgesic medication standpoint, anti-inflammatories as the first line agent that we would use. Do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, that group of medications, whether they work, whether they have any harms? So anti-inflammatories are the main medications that I use for patients who need additional analgesia, especially in the beginning of the treatment when they're starting to implement lifestyle changes. And the effect of anti-inflammatories is moderate, which is similar to the effect of exercise, which means that we can uh, obtain the same benefits with exercises. But of course, that takes longer. So anti-inflammatories may be helpful, in particularly in the, this beginning of the treatment. There are uh, mainly two types of anti-inflammatories. So the oral formulations or tablets or topical formulations or gels and creams. And the topical anti-inflammatories have um, lower risk of causing side effects such as heart problems, skin problems and liver problems that the tablets may cause. So I would suggest anyone on oral anti-inflammatories um, that needs to be supervised by a doctor to make sure it's not causing any harms. And I always suggest using the lowest dose for the lowest duration possible. So ideally only to help managing a flare-up or once 
you are feeling better, you are feeling stronger, more confident that we can reduce that dose. So how do these agents actually provide pain relief when you're thinking about the anti-inflammatory group of medications? So anti-inflammatories inhibit some mediators that promote pain and they also work in the brain uh, increasing pain tolerance and uh, reducing pain levels. Now, as you mentioned, that's a group of the anti-inflammatory group of medications can not uncommonly cause side effects. Um, how can one tell if they're at risk of developing one of those side effects that you mentioned, whether it be gout or cardiovascular? Yeah, I think, first of all, I would suggest for everyone considering taking an anti-inflammatory group of tablets uh, to be that um, under the supervision of the doctor rather than just buying things with them. But then a, a way that you could assess if you, if you could take that is help people with the diabetes, hypertension, kidney problems, and heart problems. They are increased risks of having side effects. So um, in these people, I would be more conservative in prescribing anti-inflammatories. And of course, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't suggest anti-inflammatories, just that we need to be more careful. Uh, especially tablets or oral formulations. Uh, we can, I don't know if you're going to ask a question about it, but we could uh, use that only if needed, but not regularly. So I usually limit the prescription of these drugs to the minimum that you can take to relieve the symptoms. So only for a flare up or if you need to do, you have a big day and your allergies is stopping you from sleeping, for example. Yeah, and so I think most guidelines these days are entirely consistent with that and suggesting that people who use it use the smallest dose for the shortest duration possible, yeah. ideally just to relieve flares and not be on it long-term because it doesn't do anything to modify the course of the disease long-term. Yeah. Coming, coming back to the gastrointestinal side effects just for a second, are there, I mean, the other elements that people talk about, I think when they're thinking about gastrointestinal toxicity, ulcers and indigestion, I mean, this population is older anyway, but older age, uh, prior history of an ulcer or, or indigestion, uh, whether on a concomitant agent to thin their blood out, whether on steroids, and definitely don't take uh, two anti-inflammatories at one time. So you mentioned briefly before injections as one possibility that people might use for, for the management of osteoarthritis. What injections are available and do you want to again broadly just tell me about their, their benefits and side effect profile? The most popular type of injections is the steroid injection which is widely available and can be done in the clinic by your doctor and the steroid injection gives a temporary pain relief for about four to six weeks and so it's important to have that in mind when suggesting steroid injection for chronic conditions like osteoarthritis. And there are studies showing that repetitive injections, so around three injections per year, can accelerate the uh, cartilage loss or the, the severity of osteoarthritis. So I would discourage using steroid injections routinely. Of course, as a um, one-off thing, it can be considered, for example, if you have um, your daughter daughter's wedding and you're very keen to have some extra pain relief and there are no other better um, alternatives, this can be a good option. Um, but long-term, it's not a very good uh, treatment option for managing osteoarthritis. What about hyaluronic acid, synvisc, stem cells, 
platelet-rich plasma. So for HA or hyaluronic acid, the most recent studies show that HA is no better than placebo or saline injection, uh, which means that uh, the medication itself has no effect on osteoarthritis symptoms. And you maybe have heard about someone who received a HA injection and got better. And this is likely associated with a placebo effect or a placebo response, which means that you hope to get better, you're expecting that you will get better, then you do notice a benefit, but this is likely not related to an effect of the medication. Um, and HA is costly, and uh, it does involve an injection, so it's an invasive procedure. So I do discourage uh, patients to use HA for managing osteoarthritis either of the hip or knee. For uh, stem cells and PRP, there are some trials showing benefits from these uh, interventions, but the trials are not of very good quality and they're quite heterogeneous. So, so far the evidence is not sufficient to recommend these therapies for, for osteoarthritis. There are good clinical trials going on to hopefully clarify if these injections are effective for managing osteoarthritis. Uh, but again, they are quite expensive and uh, they are, it, it's an invasive procedure. So we're still waiting for the results of these studies before advocating uh, or recommending these injections. Yeah, Letitia's being quite careful about her response here because it's an active area of research interest, including including our own group. But the current evidence doesn't advocate for the use of either stem cells or platelet-rich plasma based on particularly the quality of the trials that, that's yeah. out there. Yes, the bottom line is that I would discourage people at this point to have these injections, and uh, they are also quite expensive. Yeah, yeah, important point. Another agent that gets talked about a lot, and particularly more so recently, is duloxetine or Cymbalta. Is that, is that something that is used? Yes, duloxetine is an option to uh, treat osteoarthritis pain. It is actually an antidepressant, but if used in lower doses, it can be helpful for chronic pain. So it's important to clarify this to patients that we're not giving duloxetine because we think you are depressed. You might have concomitant depression, but we usually use duloxetine in lower doses to help reducing the pain levels. And it is a chronic medication, so it uh, needs, needs to be taken daily. And uh, we usually start with low dose and then we build up the dose if, if, if you're tolerating the medication well. May cause some side effects, uh, such as sleepiness, dizziness, constipation, so it's important to discuss that with your doctor. It's a particularly uh, useful for people with arthritis in more than one joint, in which case local therapies like still uh, topical anti-inflammatories wouldn't be sufficient, and in patients with sleep issues because it can improve sleep. Uh, so it's a good alternative for people with severe symptoms or severe pain who are starting to uh, to implement some lifestyle changes and uh, need to get some extra pain relief, particularly in this beginning of of, uh, of treatment. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned this when you were talking both about 
paracetamol and also hyaluronic acid is about a concept called the placebo effect. Now, is there, is there any way that we can um, maximize this? And should we be doing that as uh, clinicians, as maximizing the placebo effect? And is there any downside to condoning agents that have a large placebo effect? Yes, definitely. Uh, for clinicians, we should always uh, give our patients full attention and then be interested in monitoring their disease and following them up create a positive expectations about the treatment and be optimistic about uh, the prognosis. And for patients, I usually suggest to do their activities, their exercises in a pleasant environment and do something that they like and that may enhance the placebo effect and the chances of getting a positive outcome. I guess the second question is, you know, a lot of people advocate for agents that might have a large placebo effect and very little therapeutic effect over and above uh, that placebo contextual effect. Is there any downside to that? I mean, just thinking about cost and harm, should, should those be factors that we weigh into this? Of course, especially for uh, interventions that can cause harms, such as injections. Um, so you mentioned hyaluronic acid. Um, so injections can cause bleeding, infection, in or even tablets or paracetamol uh, that can cause stomach problems, liver toxicity. So we know that these uh, medications don't have any significant benefit. So and it can cause harm. So I would discourage people to use them, even if they, they are getting some benefits related to the placebo effect. Yeah. Now with covered a few of these concepts but there's obviously as you've suggested there's a lot of agents that are out there and sometimes it's uh, remarkably confusing for a person who's trying to get better informed about which agent to choose but for a person who's out there who's contemplating this ideally as you said in concert with a healthcare professional how do they make a decision about what analgesic to use and what factors should they consider in making that decision I think the first thing that you should consider is uh, how much pain you're getting. So is it constant or only when you're doing activities? Is it a lot of pain or is it mild? Is it affecting your sleep, your quality of life? So can we wait for the effect of the exercises and weight loss, which usually takes a few weeks? Or do you need something else to, to relieve your symptoms because your symptoms are more severe? I usually see patients in the beginning of the treatment, so when they're starting to see when they're starting to see the physiotherapist and to exercise, and we usually talk about um, medications or options of medications that they can use if um, if they have a flare up or if they need some extra pain relief. And uh, uh, commonly, um, when I review these patients after a few weeks, they decided not to take anything, just to wait, and they are feeling much better without any medications, just with the effects of the exercises and uh, weight loss. So this is something that you really should consider. And of course, if you have a comorbidity, so if you have a higher risk of getting side effects from the medication, so diabetes, heart problems, high blood pressure, um, ulcers in your st stomach previously, um, I 
I'm usually more conservative and try to focus on um, non-pharmacological uh, treatment not involving medications. Yeah, yeah. No, all, all important points. And I think particularly when it comes to, to choice of interventions, that preference of a person and their acceptability, particularly as, as it relates to affordability, access, uh, invasiveness of the intervention, are all important points. Now, you, you touched upon this when you were talking about the anti-inflammatories in terms of the size of uh, effects that a person might redeem from those anti-inflammatories. But what are some realistic expectations that someone might have for an analgesic and what are some common misconceptions that a person might have when they start taking a tablet? For anti-inflammatories, the benefit is usually moderate. And as I mentioned, it's similar to the effects of exercises long term. But for other medications, such as paracetamol and opioids, the benefits are usually small. And because they can cause side effects, as we discussed before, we don't suggest these medications routinely. Yeah, and I, th I think just to really re-emphasize that point, the effects are modest. And so for the average person out there on osteoarthritis medications, such as an anti-inflammatory the mean effect that they would usually expect from these medications is about a 25% reduction in their pain uh, longer term. And I think the other important element here is to, uh, I guess, disavow that myth that a lot of people believe that as soon as they start a medication, it's going to cure the disease, it's going to reverse the underlying structural changes. Um, most of the agents that we currently use are treating pain. They're not doing anything for the underlying structure. So it's not going to cure uh, the underlying problem. What, if any, patient-friendly resources are you aware of that might help to shed further light on this topic? There are quite a few resources, but particularly here in Australia, there's the My Joint Pain website. In the, I do encourage all my patients to visit the website and watch the videos and get, get more information. And I think the more information you, you get, the better you are at self-managing self your disease and discussing with your doctor or your healthcare provider about the options you have and what is best for you. Yeah, and I think that's, that's again, another really important point just to emphasise is an educated, informed patient-consumer person who has osteoarthritis has a lot more confidence and self-efficacy about the management of their disease and they're likely to do a lot better by virtue of that. Now, what should I have asked you that I forgot to ask? I've had a few patients asking me about CBD or cannabidiol for osteoarthritis pain. So I think just a quick comment that there are a few studies showing some benefits of uh, cannabidiol for osteoarthritis, but the effects are not much better than placebo, and uh, there are not many studies. So, so far, the evidence is limited and does not support the use of um, CBD for osteoarthritis. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are asking about cannabinoids and particularly other variations of THC and the, the, the psychoactive forms of THC. We covered that in the first podcast with Jason McDougall. So if you want more information about the cannabinoids and, and their efficacy, have a listen to that first podcast. But as Leticia is saying, the current evidence base is not sufficient to advocate for the use of those agents. Now, moving on a little bit from medication, what's the biggest challenge you have with your specific role right now and how are you going to overcome that? So the 
biggest challenge at the moment is related to the COVID pandemic and um, inability to see some patients face to face, especially people with a chronic pain who cannot go out to exercise and have limited resources to exercise and manage their condition because of this pandemic. It is quite different to see people uh, through telehealth, so you cannot examine them and uh, have that face-to-face uh, -face relationship. Um, I think a way to overcome is to, hopefully we will start seeing people face-to-face -face more regularly soon, but when we do telehealth consultations, really to spend time, spend some time with the patient and listen to the complaints and try to help as much as we can, give advice and uh, be there for anything they need and uh, follow them up. So I think this is what we can do at the moment. Now, I think thinking more broadly than your role, but if you had to or you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I think we focus too much on treating disease while we should be focusing on promoting health. I would love to see people chatting with the healthcare provi providers about how they can stay healthy uh, and prevent diseases rather than waiting to get a problem and then trying to modify their lifestyles to treat that problem. I think we are not doing very well at preventing diseases. And this is what I would like to see happening in the future. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, it'd be great uh, if everybody was a lot more proactive about their health and healthcare access. How do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role? So it's uh, mostly reading. So reading journal articles and medical news on social media. And uh, also attend conferences and uh, journal clubs where we discuss uh, recent uh, treatments in the medical news. Do you have any favourite stories from your work life? I don't know if, uh, if uh, I would call that my favourite story, but I do have um, a fun story. When I was an intern working in the ED, in, on the same day we were supposed to have a new intern working with us. And uh, there was this new person who came to talk to us and he was wearing very casual clothes and had black hair, he looked very young and I asked him if he was the new intern and then when I looked at his badge I saw his name and he was actually one of the consultants at the hospital and he was a very popular consultant even outside the hospital and he just looked at me with a face as if I didn't have any idea of what I was talking about. And um, the person beside me, one of my colleagues, who happens to be my husband today, and he loves to tell that story, and it was very embarrassing. Oh, it's, it's always good to have people who keep you humble in the workplace. I'm sure you were just doing that to help him with his humility. Of course, I think yeah. Now, where can listeners connect with you online? Uh, so I have a Twitter account. It's at Leticia Deleza. So I'm more than happy to, to speak with anyone who wants to talk further or needs advice. Thank you for that. Now, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? 
So uh, something that has helped helped me before is a quotation that says, uh, "Do more of what makes you happy," and that has helped a friend of mine as well when she was having a hard time. And it's about focusing on what is important, particularly because of the high prevalence of mental health issues in the community, especially now during the COVID pandemic. I think this is something that would help some people. Yeah, and it's particularly relevant right now um, in, with uh, the lockdown and social dislocation that's going on. And just in closing, if there's one piece of advice, knowledge, wisdom that you'd like to give to people out there with osteoarthritis, what might it be? My message is that there is hope if you have osteoarthritis, either if it is exercising, taking medications, managing weight, talking with your peers, talking with your healthcare provider. And even if, you, if you've tried these alternatives, uh, and you're still having quite severe pain and uh, uh, affecting your quality of life. There is surgery, which is also a good option. So uh, if you're feeling down, depressed, I just want to convey the message that we are here to support you. Fantastic. And thank you so much for coming along. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That is all for this episode of Joint Action. If you like what you hear, and want to support us, please rate us on your favourite podcast platform. Alternatively, visit the website www.jointaction.info to post a question, donate to our research, or send us some feedback. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong, and stay active. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.